You're listening to a message from Canby Foursquare Church in Canby, Oregon. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to you. Visit canbyfoursquare.com to learn more. Say this morning, so let's pray. Ah, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who do you say that I am? Father, would you just speak life into us? Holy Spirit, come. You're invited. Speak truth in who we are. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you made a way for us to be all that you've created us to be. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to start with some good news. Um, if you open your Bible to the very first chapter on the very first page, and we've talked about this since our series has begun, uh, our series on identity, who do you say that I am? In Genesis 1:27, it says, God created people in his own image. God patterned them after himself, male and female. He created them. But then in verse 31, it says this, then God looked over all he had made and saw that it was excellent in every way. This all happened on the sixth day. Our triune God took what was formless and void. And the Hebrew word for formless and void means chaos and confusion. So he took what was chaos and confusion, and he brings life, he brings design, and he brings uh, order. And so you probably know this, and I'm not going to tell you something that you don't know, probably, but DNA is the language of life, and DNA does not lie. And scientists support this. Um, but a language demands a speaker. And the first words on the first page of our Bible says, and God, then God said. He spoke everything into being, including his perfect plan for you and me. It wasn't long, though, if you turn the page of the Bible, page two, that Satan comes along and he takes God's good word and his creation, his excellent creation, you and me. He takes sex and sexuality, identity and purpose, and he pr presents a corrupted and perverted version of it and just to see if we'll take it. You know um, his agenda, right? His agenda is to offer shortcuts to personal satisfaction. Satan's agenda is to offer solutions to our unmet needs immediately. And he also tries to just confuse us to who, who am I? What is my purpose? But keep in mind, Satan cannot create. He can only corrupt. God's creation narrative is good. It's very good. Excellent. His words, not mine. DNA, the language of life. Well, um, the holidays are coming, right? So Thanksgiving, Christmas, all the different things that are happening. Now, personally, in our family, we have nine immediate family members, grandkids and kids that have birthdays in November and December, nine of them. So we have plenty of time to be with people who share our DNA. And, um, and you are going to be sharing your holidays with people that you share DNA with. And oftentimes, it's, most of the times it's wonderful, right? But there's other times that, you know, it's a little stressful. 
is a little hard and it's not always easy. But um, we're going to dive into a story today, uh, the story of Jacob, and we'll do an overview of his life. So we're going to be in Genesis chapter 25, but we're going to land in Genesis chapter 32. But so much of our identity is linked to family dynamics. And we're going to use Jacob as an example of that. Can anybody here relate to some interesting dynamics in your family growing up? Um, maybe some dynamics that cause some dysfunction in our life. Well, my birthday is today, but um, it wasn't until I was gonna get married that I needed to go home and find my birth certificate. And now, um, when we talk about chaos and confusion, that's the home I grew up in. So to find a legal document is almost impossible, and it only is a miracle that we found it. And so we're digging through uh, boxes and drawers and cupboards, and, and my mom is there, and we're trying to find this birth certificate. And finally, I find my birth certificate, which really was a miracle of God. And if you knew our house, and I looked at it, and I said, Mom, my birthday is not November 11th. <laughs> my birthday is November 12th. And she was as, as surprised as I was. So for... <laughs> So for 20 years, we celebrated my birthday on the wrong day, but it was all good because we always got Veterans Day off. But, um, but we're talking about family dynamics here, right? And so I remember t telling one of my sisters, and I have four sisters, and I have two brothers, and, um, and you know, so I'm giving my parents some, you know, some grace here because I was the fifth of seven. And so it's hard to keep track of everybody's birthday. And so anyway, I, I mentioned to my sister, and this was, you know, like 20, 25 years ago. And I said something, it's when the catch word dis dysfunction began to be used more often. And I said something about our family and the dysfunction. And she looked at me like, what are you talking about? Our family was not dysfunctional. I'm like, where did you grow up? I mean, Sandy, my birthday's been celebrated on the wrong day for 20 years. And I mean, if that's not dysfunction, that they don't even know your birthday. But there were so many other things, but so many good things too. And I do want to say that there were so many wonderful things. And we did speak love in our family, even though it was crazy and chaotic at times, we did love one another and we still do. But every family, if we're going to be honest, has some dysfunction. And so we see ourselves oftentimes by those that are closest to us and, and how they've influenced who we are, how we see ourselves, both negative ways and positive ways. You know, some of us have dealt with abuse and, and um, addiction, abandonment. Um, we may have been labeled as shy or lazy or stupid even. Maybe in a joking way they've said you were an oops or a mistake, but it all forms uh, how we see ourselves. And on the other hand, you may have been raised in, in a family where you were the only child in, or one of the children, and you were God's gift to mankind. And so then your identity is really based on your accomplishments, and failure was not an option. 
So it forms who we are and how we see ourselves. Family history also has influenced how we see ourselves. How, what about grandma and grandpa and aunts and uncles and what has been in our past and in our family tree? And this is very, very evident in the life of Jacob. So here's the, here's the thing. The Bible, um, we take the word as absolute truth. The Bible tells the truth. These individuals in the chapters of the Bible, they're flawed, they're broken, and they oftentimes lack integrity. And it's intentional to tell the truth in the word because the Bible ultimately points us to Jesus, not to perfection of you need to raise, rise to this perfection of this hero in the Bible or do everything right, these rules in order to be right with God. But he points, it keeps pointing us to Jesus. It's the very key in the life of Jacob. Jacob's identity was damaged and the struggle is very real. So our first point this morning is the struggle is real. And maybe most of us can identify with that. We've experienced brokenness. We've experienced pain. We've experienced hurt and disappointment. We can relate to that. I can certainly relate to that. So I want to do a quick rundown of Jacob. Um, Jacob's grandparents had a lot of drama. Um, his grandma told his granddad to get busy with their servant to have a baby, and then she got mad at him. So that was Abraham and Sarah. Then Isaac, who is born to Sarah, finally, he's the son of promise, and he marries Rebecca. And they have twins, Esau and Jacob. And Jacob is who we're going to talk about this morning. And from the start, there is this tension of favoritism. Rebecca favored Jacob because Jacob was more of a stay-at-home kind of guy. He was more domes domesticated, so she naturally had an affinity with him. Esau, on the other hand, was rugged and an outdoorsman, and so Isaac loved him in part because he related to that personality. There, there is a toxic blend of explosiveness, though, in a family when parents favor one child over another. And perhaps you've experienced that. Jacob experienced the pain of rejection by Isaac, his father. We see in different situations where Jacob is always vying for the blessing of birthright. So we look at Genesis um, ch chapter 25, and, and in this part, Jacob convinces his brother to sell, to give his birthright to him for a bowl of soup. And the scriptures say that Esau ate and drank and went on about his business, indifferent to the fact that he had given up his birthright for a bowl of soup. We're looking at Jacob today, and um, we'll agree that there are some issues with Esau as well. <laughs> So let's keep looking. It says that Isaac then in chapter 27 is about to die, and he's almost blind. And so Isaac, their father, asks Esau to go hunt, bring back some game, and make his favorite dish. 
in um, 27, it says this, I am an old man now, Isaac said, and I don't know when I may die. Take your bow and quiver full of arrows and go out into the open country to hunt some wild game for me. Prepare my favorite dish and bring it here for me to eat. Then I'll, I will pronounce the blessing that belongs to you, my firstborn son, before I die. This blessing would be very similar to like hearing the will or um, the, your inheritance, like the, like the reading of um, who you are in, in that family and be affirmed and what they see in you. This is what that, the significance that Isaac was going to give to Esau after he ate the, the, the meal. That affirmation would have been huge, and it would be huge in all any of our lives to hear that from a parent. So, but Rebecca, the mom, she overhears and she convinces Jacob to deceive his father and receive the blessing instead of Esau. Do you see any dysfunction here? It says, uh, she says this, now my son, listen to me, do exactly as I tell you, go out to the flocks and bring me two fine goats. I'll use them to prepare your father's favorite dish. Then take the food to your father so he can eat it and bless you before he dies. So Jacob dresses up in his, in his brother's clothes. And so he smells like his brother who's an outdoorsman and does hunting. It feels rough, like maybe the clothes that Esau would wear. And he puts animal skins on his arms and on his back. And it's all in the scripture. It's such an interesting story. So take time to read it all at some point. But he does this because Esau is a hairy man and, and Jacob is more smooth. And so he's, he's fooling his, his father. So um, he goes to Isaac and Isaac doesn't immediately buy it. He, he's a little suspect, but he finally is convinced and he gives this incredible blessing to Jacob. No sooner had he done this that Esau comes home and he has the game and he's ready to present this meal to his father and to receive the blessing. Well, Isaac all of a sudden realizes what had been done, that he'd been duped and that he gave the blessing away. And Isaac began to trem tremble uncontrollably. It was such a traumatic moment. Esau pleaded. He understood what happened, that his, his blessing was given away, and there was a loud and bitter cry. And he begged for a blessing too. He pleaded, not, not, there's not one more blessing for me. So Jacob, he's a manipulator, he's a deceiver, he's a liar, he's a scoundrel. And then Esau, he wanted immediate physical satisfaction. I mean, he's willing to give something significant away for his hunger. He seemed indifferent to that significant and he was angry and he wanted revenge. With these characteristics and if, you know, we can relate to that. We can relate to wanting something that's really not ours, wanting to be someone else. So we have to ask the question, God, who do you say that I am? 
Esau, at this point, he wants to kill Jacob. And Rebekah hears this and he tells Jacob, Jacob, run for your life. There's no way you're going to beat Esau. He's not, he's not going to be easy. So you need to run for your life because he's going to kill you. And so why was Jacob doing all these things? He wanted to hear affirmation from his father. He wanted to receive the approval and blessing, even if it came from false pretense. Like all of us, we want to hear, you are doing an amazing job. You are a great son. You are a great daughter. This is what you mean to me. We all want to hear those things. Now, we may not have dressed up in our siblings' clothes, but we have tried on someone else's style. We've done that because we've seen somebody that we thought, if I could only be maybe like that, then maybe I would feel complete or happy or fulfilled. We want to, to satisfy maybe an unmet need. Um, our, our identity is fractured, and we want to feel valued and affirmed. So we try on different styles in order to feel full and fulfilled to satisfy a legitimate appetite. But what Satan does, he tries to meet that legitimate appetite with an illegitimate way. And that's what our current culture offers us so much. This very self-serving, you know, you, if you trust your gut. If, if, if you feel that strongly about it, it has to be true. Live your own truth. And it's void of the truth of the triune God. So Jacob is running. He's running. He goes to his uncle Laban. And if you dig deeper into the story, you see that now Jacob is looking for affirmation in romance. He sees Rachel. And Rachel is beautiful. And he wants to marry Rachel. And she is Laban's daughter. And so Laban says, if you work for me seven years, you can have her hand in marriage. Well, he works for seven years, and then, then on the wedding night, he presents his other daughter, Leah. And so then Laban says, okay, if you want Rachel, you'll have to work another seven years. So Jacob works another seven years. And he didn't get what he wanted from his father or his brother. And as a matter of fact, he left all that inheritance, all that blessing behind when he had to run for his life. Maybe I can find it in relationship. So you see Uncle Laban is sketchy and Jacob is sketchy. <laughs> and so he ends up with both sisters. And um, at one point, Jacob sets up this whole scenario. It's really interesting um, where he takes Laban's herds and he does this thing with them. And, and um, it, he gains all this wealth of his own. And so now Jacob is now chasing success. Now, who do you say that I am? If you read the whole story of Genesis, Jacob, you know, dupes Laban, and Laban dupes 
Jacob, and they get and Laban gets a lot of free labor, and ultimately he marries the sisters, the two daughters, and he accumulates huge herds. He's a wealthy man now. Now the wives, the sisters, um, they aren't happy, and there's contention and there's competition in childbearing because Leah, who um, could have children easily, begins just having one son after another, and Rachel is struggling to bear a child, and eventually she does. And but essentially, the two sisters. Interesting. If you've ever wanted to know where the 12, 12 tribes of Israel come from, it's those two sisters. So there's Reuben and Simeon and Levi and Dan and Judah and the rest of them. And finally, Rachel has Joseph, the son who has the coat of many colors. So Laban and Jacob part ways because there's tension and they don't like each other now. And Jacob is going to go home. But there's a problem. There's a problem because it's been many years, but he doesn't know if Esau is still out to kill him. And it's hanging over his head. And, he, and then he gets news as he's going back to his father, um, for back to the land he was from. He gets news that Esau is on the way and that he has 400 men with him. <laughs> so Jacob is like, uh-oh, <laughs> this is trouble. I know what I did. And it was bad. <laughs> so Jacob is terrified. And he devises a plan to try to appease Esau. He's like dividing up. He says, if I give him this many goats and this many sheep and, you know, and I'm going to, he's, he's thinking hard. He's like, how can I get out of this alive? And so he's, he's got this plan going and, and he pleads with God, God, if you do this, if you bless me in this way, then I'll, I'll do this for you. And so Jacob is trying to do all these things. And what he ends up doing is he separates his wealth. So he has two wives with lots of children. So he takes one wife and children and some of his wealth in herds and all the things that he's accumulated and they go one way and then the other wife and children with other um, wealth of the herds go another way, hopefully just to save some. He's hoping, hoping that some will survive this. And trickery can't save him anymore. So his wives and servants and herds are all gone, and it's at night, and Jacob finds himself alone. He's alone now. It's the end of the day, and the reality is it's sinking in. He can't run from his problems anymore. We can't run from our problems we can't run from the hole in our heart that we think these certain things are going to fill. So romance, success, deception have all failed to fill what only God can fill. And that's true for us. There's things that are empty in our lives. We keep trying and trying to find that thing to make us feel whole and where it's only Jesus. It's only Jesus. And Jacob encounters God, and he is alone. 
There are times in our life that we need to just get away from the noise. We have to get away. And the distractions of social media, um, friend groups, just our busyness, because we can become so busy and get to the place where God can speak to us. He could reach us, and then we could actually hear him. I love community. Um, it's one of my favorite things, and these are important times, but there are other times, especially when God really needs your attention, and he needs to address things in your life. It needs to be just you and him. It needs to be just me and God. And this is where we find Jacob. The struggle is real. The struggle is private. It's just me and you, God. In Genesis 32, uh, 24, it says, Then Jacob left, this left Jacob all alone in the camp, and a man came and wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. So here's the situation. It's really, really dark. And a man came. And so, you know, Jacob is thinking, is this Esau? He's probably, you know, I need to fight for my life. And so he's fighting for his life with this man. And um, so I just need, a, this is a disclaimer, I've never wrestled in my life. Um, I have absolutely no experience in wrestling. I ran track, I played tennis, but I did not, I was not part of the wrestling. And so, but my middle son did. Uh, Ryan is one of the toughest guys I know. He played tackle football. He started the rugby team at Canby High School, and he played scrum half. He did saber fencing, and he wrestled. It was hard to watch him in football because he was hitting hard, and he'd get hit hard. I don't know how many times he came home from rugby bloodied with a bloody nose and a bloody mouth. But wrestling was the hardest for a mom to watch. And I don't know, I don't, I, maybe there's some moms here that can relate to this. The reason it's so hard, wrestling is so emotional. It is so intense. I understand that you're part of a wrestling team, but they're not on the mat with you when you're going one-on-one -on -one grappling. It's tough. It is so personal. You either win or you lose, and it's all on you. It's tough because wrestling matches only last six minutes with three two-minute periods in it. That's how hard it is. And Jacob wrestled until the break of day. That's how desperate he was. He may not have known who he was wrestling, but he knew that God was involved. In verse 25, it says, when the man saw that he would not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of his socket. Keep that verse in mind. We're going to come back to it. Jacob was probably thinking, okay, I'm holding my own. I'm holding my own. But then all of a sudden, he touched my hip and it came. It was wrenched out of the socket. I think God is in this match. The hip is one of the strongest bones in our body. It holds our frame up. It didn't say he hit his hip. It said he touched his hip. The struggle is real. The struggle is personal. It's private. And the struggle is painful. 
If you've ever had a, a joint come out of the socket, you, you don't usually keep doing what you're doing. You stop because the pain is tremendous. Pain is necessary because it gets our attention. It makes us move. Sometimes God has to break us in order to heal us. He wants our full attention, and this is what he's doing with Jacob. C.S. Lewis puts it this way, God whispers to us in prosperity, but he shouts to us in adversity. Jacob was wrestling with his identity, who he was. He and others knew him as the deceiver, the liar, the manipulator, not who God called and purposed him to be. So Jacob is desperate. His hip is out of joint, and he is still at it. He is in pain, but he's not letting go. He's thinking, my whole life I have looked for blessing. I've looked for approval. I have looked for validation and significance. I have looked for success. I have looked for it in relationships. I've looked for it, and I haven't been able to find it. Then the man said in verse 26, let me go, for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. I am desperate. I am not letting go. I realize that unless I am blessed by you, I cannot find blessing anywhere else. And God says to Jacob, I'm the one you've been wrestling with your entire life. So yes, hold on. This time, hold on to me. The only way to get to intimacy with God is to wrestle with him. In 27, it says, what is your name, the man asked. He replied, Jacob. When he said his name, he was confessing. He's saying, I'm Jacob, the deceiver. I'm the manipulator. I looked for approval in all the wrong places. In 28, it says, your name will no longer be Jacob, the man told him. From now on, you will be called Israel because you have fought with God and with men and have won. This is the first time in scripture that Israel is mentioned. The primary thread, and this is what's so beautiful, the primary thread throughout the Bible is the redemption of humanity. And Israel is the center of that story. Israel in Hebrew means God contends, or one who struggles with God, God's people. Our identity is found in Jesus. We can wrestle our whole life and wonder, who am I? What do others see me as, or who do other people think I am? Until you get a hold of God and not let go, your identity, my identity, will be wrapped up with what, what I've accomplished or what I haven't accomplished, what I've done, what I shouldn't, shouldn't have done. But now God sees us. And, and when I hold on to him and I wrestle with him, I'll find out who he says that I am. And I am loved. You are loved and you are loved lavishly. 
You are forgiven. You are chosen. You are empowered. You are unique. And you are his. In verse 29, it says, please tell me your name, Jacob said. Why do you want to know my name, the man replied. Then he blessed Jacob there. Now, I mentioned verse 25 and said, remember this verse. It said that he could not overtake Jacob. Don't you find that interesting, that he could not overpower Jacob? I mean, if we're talking about God, how does that work that God could not overpower Jacob? Um, when our boys were little, they loved to wrestle, and Ron was great with them. He, he would wrestle with them almost every night. Every night, both the boys would grapple, and they would be sweaty little guys, and Ron could have easily overtake both of them, uh, pinned them, frustrated them, game over. But Ron would not use his weight because the goal was to wrestle. The goal was to give them a good workout, to tire them out, to build their strength, not to beat them. God made himself weak because the goal wasn't to beat Jacob. It was to get Jacob to wrestle with him so that he understood what it meant to wrestle with God a long time. So what does wrestling look like in our life? It looks like prayer. It looks like praying. Those things that are heavy, those things that you see, those things that are breaking your heart, those things that you don't have answers for. Wrestling means praying and praying long. It means lamenting, confessing, repenting, it means holding on to his word, his promises, and his presence. Just desperate for his presence. That's what wrestling looks like in our life. Many a night I have wrestled with God. And it would be safe to say I pleaded with God many, many nights. In those wrestling matches... God challenged me to let go of what I thought were the only solutions, what I thought were the only answers, and to hold on to him, him alone to trust him, to hold on even though the night was dark, even though the pain was still there, even though my heart was broken, to hold on. The struggle is real. The struggle is private. The struggle is painful, and the struggle prepares us for his presence. Before this wrestling match that Jacob had with God, Jacob's re relationship with God, with God was about, God, if you do this for me, if you let me out of this problem, then I'll bless you. If you would bless me in this way, then I'm going to do this for you. But Jacob isn't saying that anymore. He's now saying, your presence is the blessing. Your presence is the blessing. This wasn't the only time that God chose to let up on his weight. 
his son Jesus got the whole weight of the cross, got the whole weight of wrath and sin, our sin, and he did not let go so that we received the blessing of the cross, the good news of the cross, that Jesus died for us so that we can live and be whole. Verse 30 says, Jacob named the place Peniel, which means face of God, for he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been spared. The sun was rising as Jacob left Peniel, and he was limping because the injury to his hip. Jacob's limp was a constant reminder that he wrestled with God. You may have a limp in your life, and hopefully that limp reminds you of the time that you have wrestled with God, and you prevailed how God met you in a very dark place and he came and he rescued you. Don't be afraid of the limp. Don't be ashamed of the limp. You will never become who you're supposed to be unless you keep wrestling with God. No matter how difficult life gets, no matter what culture dictates, no matter what or how you have identified yourself in the past, our identity is in Christ alone. Would you stand with me this morning? The struggle is real, but so is the God of Israel. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that you... <laughs> You let us wrestle with you when you could be game over with us. Thank you. You care so much for us. Father, we are, we are thankful and grateful people. Keep wrestling with us in those areas. And Holy Spirit, would you remind us that we can't let go, that we can wrestle with God and that God will see us through. Holy Spirit, remind us of that. Thank you. Thank you, Lord, for this morning. We ask for your blessing of your presence, not for anything else. We just want your presence, Lord, in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening. Please let us know if you have questions or would like us to pray with you. You can contact the church office most weekdays at 503-266-4444 and anytime through canbyfoursquare.com.